Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com. Choose your sizes and your preferences, and you will get a curated box of running goodies that is sure to please. And if you don't like it, just send it back. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. The weather is changing, my friends. We're about to be into March. Do you have your spring running gear? If you don't, go to mercurymile.com. Even if you do, they might have stuff that you're not even aware of. They have the best stuff. The, the most the kind of like the, the stuff that's newer on the scene, a lot of high quality products. And the best thing is, if even if you don't like any of the stuff, this isn't Christmas, you can literally just send it all back and you don't lose anything. So if you go to MercuryMile.com, use Rambling Runner 10 at checkout to save $10 on the $20 stylus fee. And you'll be all set. So this episode is with my friend. Nick Klosteva. Nick is just obviously a very fast runner. He ran 2.30 at CIM in December, which is, man, that's super-duper fast, obviously. You know, he was running next to Steph Bruce in the last 10K, of all people, and that was a huge thing for him. We talk about that. But this episode is not simply about Nick's marathon time. In fact, it's a lot... Basically, the entire episode is about a lot more than that. So we talk about Nick's history with running, his history with anxiety, our shared experiences in therapy, how he has used the knowledge gained from that experience to approach running in his mid-30s in a way that's allowing him to unlock his potential as a runner as he strives for the best version of himself, both as a runner and as a dad and husband and we dive into all of it. I couldn't be more thankful to Nick for really opening up in this episode. And I think that you will really enjoy it. So here's my episode with Nick. Hello, Nick, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited. That makes two of us, man. I really got, I'm really uh, excited to have you on the show you certainly have had an incredible past couple months, and uh, I actually had a chance to meet you in person. Yeah, out at uh, out at CIM. Yeah, we met out there. That was great. Right before your uh, big podcast. Yeah, was that? So was that? I'm trying to remember now. Was it Friday night or was it Saturday afternoon? Because you know, we had I had the Sarah Crouch one on Friday, and then we had the panel discussion on Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so you were how were you feel? So you ran CIM, which was a huge which was a huge race for you, and we'll dive into it. I remember at the time, like feeling like nervous excitement coming from you. I couldn't place it. It was my first time actually meeting you. So I, I wasn't like positive about that's that's actually how you felt. But in retrospect, how were you feeling that weekend before the race? <laughs> that's that's a pretty good uh example. I was that's how I was feeling. It was I was ready to have a big day. I didn't know how big, but I was, you know, just there excited. I met a lot of people I haven't met before. I think the whole weekend was just like overwhelming. So yeah, that day I was just ready to roll. I can imagine. So when, when you have that sort of experience, so I didn't run CIM. So for me, like, 
the expo was the event <laughs> for me. So they were doing the podcast. I actually flew out Sunday morning. I wasn't even there for the marathon because, you know, for you, as you know, because you had to do basically the same flight I did getting back to the East Coast. I took, like, I had to be back to work on Monday morning. So I basically flew the entire day on Sunday. So when you were out there ready for the race, did you have to kind of like govern how much energy that you used in say like the, the 24 or 36 hours leading up into the race? Yeah, I was trying to. I mean, I think we all, when we go to marathons in cities, we walk around too much, we explore, we don't know what to do with ourselves. You know, the logical thing is to sit in a hotel room all day, but who wants to do that? So, you know, for the most part, I walked around too much, grabbed my usual um, beer before PR. I, I like to stand by that every time I have a, oh, I want to have a oh, PR. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Let's dive into this. All right. <laughs> we're going to cut that out. We're going to cut that, cut that short a little bit here. I can't wait to hear about it. how did you get this, this, this ritual of a marathon or I'm sorry, a PR beer before the race. Yeah. So I think a lot of times growing up, it was always like, Oh, don't drink before a race. Like, and I always had that in my head. Like I was the perfect runner, like had my pasta meal before a race, like didn't have any alcohol in college or when I started running again. And then one of my friends was like, no, let's like, let's have a beer. It's a PR beer. And so I had it and I had a great race. And so a lot of t- every time before a race, I'll go out and have a beer and people look at me like you're dehydrating yourself. What are you doing? And I'm just like, no, this is like a fun little tradition. I do every time I enjoy it. There you go. And once you set up that that ritual, it like, can like put your mind at ease. It's almost like having like, you know, like a pre like a like a, like a warm up ritual before like a track workout. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there you go. So do if you have a local run, say you're so you're in the Baltimore area. If you have a like a local race, is there like a spot you like to go to, or do you have it just like you know in the in the comfort of your own home? Either or. If I, if it's local, I'm usually home the night before a race, so I'll just have a beer at home. If it's, you know, if I'm somewhere else, then I'll just go out to dinner that night and have a beer. Okay. So is there a, like, a favorite beer? Is there, like, a beer that's associated with, like, the best PR you've had that now you want to, like, <laughs> replicate that beer, that perfect beer experience? No, I can't say that. I don't I don't remember. Like, I have beers I like, but there's no beer, like, that I had that I remember to a PR. It's just, it's just having the beer is a good, is a good start to the before the race. See, you live in an area that for me has been like, you know, I don't, I don't live this life anymore. I'm, you know, I'm 38 years old, but I used to go down to Baltimore all the time because all my buddies would live that were living there. And that was like our going out. That was like my going out place. Is that like whenever I was in Baltimore, it was like as crazy as a weekend as you can imagine. It is, it is a city. I feel like you can walk everywhere. You can. It's, there's great, there's really great parts. There's a lot of great breweries in town i mean every there's so many now you can basically do we do brewery runs some of our groups sometimes we'll run from brewery to brewery to brewery we do a tavern run before the super bowl every year where we run to about 10 taverns over like 14 miles and then get to the last bar right before the super bowl so yeah we have a lot of fun with all the local bars and and breweries in town oh that's great no like so basically like fell's point obviously is classic um and then i think i want to say was it canton Yep, Canton. Okay, yeah, because my buddy lived outside of Canton for a while. I was a teacher there, and that was always a good spot, too. Yeah, definitely. That's where I usually go is Canton. Okay, all right. So back to CIM. <laughs> Quick tangent there for the drinking. <laughs> um, full disclosure, I'm actually having a glass of wine as I record this podcast, so maybe I'm just <laughs> in that mood. But So you were 
because for you, that's not only a huge race for everyone who runs it. You're flying across the country. You obviously have certain goals, expectations, and all of that, as we all do for a marathon, because you, know, you can't run every, one run can't run one every weekend. But it's, it seems like it might have been even bigger for you, considering that you know, you're a rabbit elite runner, rabbits based out there. Like, what sort of things went into that weekend for you that you felt like you know you wanted to to uh, be a part of before actually doing the race oh man so like the best part like so Ra- rabbit elite i joined it in, in april and you know everyone's scattered across the country so i had been connecting with a lot of friends on the rabbit elite team through social media but i haven't met any so i didn't happen to see any na races or anything so sim was like the big opportunity like i'd never met jill deering before i'd never met uh, any of the rabbits so they had a dinner the night before so I got there Friday, cross-country flight, and we went to, we had like a dinner with some of the elites, some of the ambassadors, the rad rabbit people, some of the pros were there. And I got like, it was very funny when you walk in, you sit down, everyone's like, is that uh, N plus Dava? Or like everyone's calling out each other's uh, Instagram handle because, you know, a lot of us haven't met before. Um, and so, so that was exciting to meet everyone. I haven't, you know, opportunity and we're all talking about each other's story. Like we know each other because we share everything on, Insta- on Instagram. Um, so that was a great start to the weekend. And then rabbit did that shakeout run Saturday morning that it seemed like everyone in all of SIM running SIM was doing a shakeout run at 9am at that uh, expo. So that was great. It's so true. I was there too. It was like, I think Zensa had one rabbit had one. I was there for the McCurdy trained group had one. It was like, everyone was meeting up in this like 100 by 100 foot area. <laughs> it was so funny. Everyone's like, which group are you with? And I'm like, oh, so yeah, so that was great. And I met a lot of people there. So like, that was like so great. And then I had met so many people on Instagram. I haven't done one. There wasn't really an Instagram meetup, but I'd met so many people through Instagram from talking that as I was walking around, I was like, oh, hey, like I, I met Elena. I met um, uh, Shawana, Sh- 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 Tree Runner. Like I met a ton of people. Out yeah, Shawana White. Yep. Uh, I met Pat, Pat Cutter. Um you know, so it was just like everyone who I'd never seen before, but I was following along with, it was just like a weekend of like, oh, hey, there you are. So like all of that was just like this exciting um, atmosphere that like, forget the race, like it's like a social weekend with a bunch of friends who I haven't been able to hang out with. That was exactly my experience as well. When I got home, I was talking to my wife and family about it. And they're like, what did you think of it? I was like, it was like going to like a big family reunion. Is how it felt to me because it was like you're walking around and like you said you bump into all these people that you like you kind of like look at like like half i don't know this person half wait hold on they start they kind of look familiar and then you kind of start putting the pieces together it really was a great experience i'm so glad i went so spoiler alert if someone's listening to this podcast they probably already have read the the write-up on it and this race happened a while ago so we don't have to do like the whole breakdown of like i wonder how nick did you killed it you crushed cim you had a huge pr so for the people just tell them what your pr was going into this race from a marathon perspective and the night before the race how did your vision all of a sudden change i feel like there was this paradigm shifting moment at this rabbit dinner yeah so um i uh my pr going in was two hours and 37 minutes and 50 i ran that atlantic city marathon in 2016 and yeah, like I was, I, was I, I happened to have a really good race at Richmond a month earlier. I ran a one eleven oh three half marathon, which sort of to me shocked me because it was about a three minute PR. 
And so when I went to this race, it was like a lot more confidence than I, I was anticipating. And so I sat down at the table and like a lot of the rabbit were just talking up like, oh man, like, you know, 226 isn't a possibility, 228, like definitely under 230. So like it got a lot of like, and I had started thinking that too, but I was, I didn't want to get caught up with, like you set a goal and you don't want to like change it the last minute. And then all of a sudden, you know, then you're upset because you, you didn't make your old goal, but you, you didn't make your new goal. Like, so, so I got there and, you know, a lot of just this confidence from these people, like to, to tell you to go for it. And like, that's very new for me from running to just have these people who I know through Instagram, just being so supportive and just being so like, yes, you can definitely do that. And telling stories of their own career and how they did do it is just like inspiring. So like that night was like, just getting me all riled up and ready to go. And so then I went out. Um, yeah. So that, that was kind of that story. And then I went out and ran two hours and 30 minutes. And I think it's, oh, I'm forgetting now. I'm blanking 47 seconds, 43 seconds, somewhere around there um, for Sim, which was like a seven minute PR, which was so awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I mean, a seven minute PR in a marathon is a huge improvement no matter your time. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be a four hour, four and a half hour marathon or a seven hour, a seven minute PR is huge. But for someone who's in the two thirties, it's like a completely different ball game. Cause in that level, it's like, you know, like increasing your speed by 1%, you know, for a five hour marathon, or that could be a huge time game for a two thirty marathon or it's not that much. So it really is. You kind of have to fight for every second when you're at that level. So that's, that must've just been, again, running that one eleven. it definitely shows that you had it in you. But when you were kind of you know, doing that last 10 K after mile 20, you know, you're coming into, you're coming into, coming into the city. What did it feel like for you maintaining that pace and, you know, just, just basically reaching a level in the marathon that you had never reached before? Yeah. So I went through 20 in like one hour and 53 minutes, which I've never been there. Like that, I just saw the clock and I was like, Oh man. And then I do the, the thing we all do as runners and you know, we love math. So I'm like, Hey, I wanted to break two thirty. Well, Let you're an engineer too. So you're like, your math game is on a different level. <laughs> so, so, so I'm doing this math and I'm like, all right, I'm at one fifty three, whatever, 26. And I was like, all I got to do is run 36, like 34 for the last 10 K and I'm going to break uh three hour two thirty, Like I want to. And so I'm doing the math of what that is per mile. I think it was like five forty seven, And I'm like, Oh, I've been running consistently five thirty nines, five forty ones. The first mile after I did this math, what would you guess I run? I run exactly the time that I said I needed to maintain. Dude, the rest of the way. I always, no knew, time I always knew math was a bad idea. See, this is this. It's the worst. Every time I do this math in my head, the first mile I run exactly what I had told myself I could, just to maintain instead of having like keeping that extra, you know, time I had. And all of a sudden now, at the second mile, I'm going through at mile twenty-two. All of a sudden, my pace is dropping close to six see this is this and is like, like the school equivalent of like getting an a on the first test of the year and then being like okay how bad do i have to do the rest of the way just to get a b i know and that was the that, it's like the worst so all race long i wasn't caring about splits they were just happening and then at mile 20 i just i went back like to my old ways and it's just like i should have just kept going and yeah so i started approaching six and that's when um you know, I kept hearing, come on, Steph, come on, Steph. And I, I, you know, I knew what that meant immediately. I knew Steph Bruce, who was behind me at the time was coming. And I was like, oh man, I was like, like, she's literally one of my idols from a running perspective. Like so much, I always, I wrote it in my, my story or my post, but like, it's so cool that we get to as runners run with the professionals of our sport, like our role models are literally on the same course as us. 
And I was like, this is like, as she's coming up to me, I was like, this is like the one in a life, once in a lifetime opportunity. I can run some miles with Steph Bruce. Like, we're not going to talk. She's trying to get second place and I'm just trying to hang on. But so when she went to pass me, like, I literally changed my stride. All of a sudden, I got this new energy that I didn't have. And it had nothing to do with, like, wanting to beat her or anything like that. It had to do with, like, here's my role model, like, one of my favorite runners. And I get to share a mile, like, as much time as I can make with her. And we ended up running a mile together. Someone snapped a photo that I eventually found online. Um, after a mile, like, I started feeling, like, really bad. But we came, we, we dropped our pace back down to, like, 541. And for that mile going with her and like that just changed the whole perspective instead of like starting this upward climb of six minute miles and higher, like I flipped the switch and I hung on a little more and it didn't really blow up until the last mile. Now, what was that like in terms of its effect on you physically and mentally? Because you just mentioned like all of a sudden you went from cruising to being in your own head. Obviously, it was like kind of superficial because it was just like math based. It wasn't as if you had some sort of injury or you're starting to dehydrate. But then you have this experience that you know we all dream about, like you know playing basketball with LeBron James or you know you know hitting a ba- hitting a baseball off like Clayton Kershaw, and all of a sudden you're running next to you know Steph Bruce, which is as you mentioned, kind of like an awe inspiring um, phenomenon. So, what did that do to your mindset in the moment? It was so cool. It was like, just changed everything. Like I went from like, all of a sudden, like sort of feeling sorry for myself, like I'm throwing this away to like, yes, this is the best. Like, like all of a sudden I'm re-energized and I'm rolling and everything. My body feels great. I'm not doing math anymore. And like, we're running by people and everyone's cheering for Steph and which is perfectly fine. Cause I'm like, just, I'm in 170th place at this point. So, but like, it was just so cool. Like this whole surreal moment. And like, as eventually she pulled away a mile later, like, you know, I kept seeing her and I kept like trying to close that gap, which wasn't going to happen, but it just kept pulling me along for almost like two miles. And like that, that like, just, it's so cool that I like flipped that switch. And then I just hung on to whatever I could for the last two and a half miles. This is like a great example of those books, like endure and how bad do you want it? Where so much of our performance can be mentally and can be grounded in our mental and emotional mindset. Again, that's a lot easier said than done in terms of fixing it or trying to master it. But like, this is a, like a wonderful example of it. Like nothing changed with your body during this time, right? Like it's not as if you like ingested some sort of like high caffeine, high sugar drink that like, you know, changed <laughs> your physiology, but just like the circumstances around you changed and all of a sudden you felt different. Exactly. Like it's that, it's that funny thing about running like, or anything. Like sometimes we, we think we're more hurting and then something flips or, you know, they always say smile when you're running and you know, all of a sudden like things don't hurt as much. And I, I have some really funny photos where I'm smiling and I'm in pain and it looks terrible. But in those moments, like that smile, like helped me change how I felt and I kept moving and like, it's all about just keeping that pace as long as you can. And those are some of the tricks. Like sometimes I wave to fans who cheer me on. Or sometimes I thank runners on the other side or cheer them on, like whatever I can do, like to keep me moving and keep me excited about the pace I'm maintaining. Now, have you always been like that? Or is this something that you've grown into over time? Oh man, it's all, it's all different. Like I was probably one of the hardest, we're all really bad critics of ourselves. Like, but like, I always put so much pressure on myself through high school college uh, when i started up again in 2011 it was always very pressure it was always 
Nick do better? And, you know, it always came down to toughness. I always believed I wasn't tough enough. I always believed, um, you know, I'm a very sensitive male. You know, I've people would say, if you talk to them, I have a lot of feelings, which is great. I like it. But like everyone used to always tell me in high school and college, like, just be tougher, Nick, just, um, you know, just tough through that moment. And I always used to believe it. Like I just wasn't tough enough. And I always now looking back, it's more of, I just put so much pressure on myself internally that like it was, there was no way I was going to achieve what I wanted to because I was already beating myself up. And then I had to go run this race where I didn't believe I could do it anyway. Now, do you think their criticisms or even if it wasn't critical, if they were just, if they like were truly on your side and were trying to help, do you feel like their observations of you maybe not being tough enough do you think there was truth in that or do you think that you just expressed yourself in a way that led them to believe that you weren't being tough i think it's more the latter i think it's because of the way you know i come across it doesn't feel like toughness but through all my years of running i realize how tough i am i realize i've done a lot in workouts and in races and tough through things and just in life, like that, I know I'm tough, as tough as I need to be. Um, it's just that I think it wasn't really always about toughness. It was just, that's a thing you could always, you can always link to. And you, when you're you know, in college and, you know, people are just always having that toughness and like, as you're sprinting on a track, it, so everyone just links it always to how tough are you? When I think sometimes uh, no toughness would have mattered because I was putting so much pressure to be this, to have to run these times that like, if I just put less pressure on myself, I would have been able to probably push through a lot of these things. Yeah. And also gauging somebody's toughness, unless you are very well versed in terms of that person's history and what they're currently doing from a practice perspective, it's, it's, it's a fool's errand, right? I mean, there's some people, let me put it this way. There's like so many examples I could pick from right now. I'm just going to choose the cycling example of, I heard, heard this anecdote about how, People didn't, again, this is going to be a Lance Armstrong story. Again, I'm aware of his history, but this is unrelated <laughs> to that. One thing that people, especially the French, especially early in Lance's career, what they didn't like is he was kind of like the Terminator mode when he would climb. Like he was one of those like show no emotion type riders. Again, so was Jan Ulrich. He wasn't the only one. But that the French were big fans of people who would like show themselves dying on the mountain. Right. Like they wanted to like express the pain to show the toughness and all that. And you see like this in baseball, like the Dustin Pedroia type who's like super gritty versus like other people who might just be, you know, maybe a little robotic or maybe just don't have that same like snarl. But it's not indicative of toughness. It's just how they choose to like express themselves. And those two things aren't necessarily correlated. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I think I agree with that. Yeah, so that can be tough from a runner just because, you know, it's like if you just like keep it in and you try to stay inside your own head or even like you mentioned, like you try to be positive as a way of like amplifying your own ability, it might come across as lying out there so he could go harder where you could just be like literally like this is just a defense mechanism because I, I am dying out here and I'm just trying to stay alive. <laughs> yeah exactly I, that that's yeah that's how i feel so how did you i guess come to the self-realization where you started becoming a little bit more comfortable in your own skin in that regard so i think there's a couple things so 
you know, one of the best things I did for my mental health, which then correlates to my running health, is I, I started going to a therapist in 2016. And I think what I learned from that was so valuable, not just for my regular life, but like it then pushes into this running story a lot. So like I learned a lot more of understanding myself better. I learned how to be mindful. I had more confidence because of the things we talked through. I talked through a lot of, I think, stuff that, you know, I had thought I had buried, which I think we all do, but, you know, it resonates in a lot of my decisions subconsciously because our mind is so smart and it remembers everything, even if we don't. And so through therapy, a lot of that helped build me up in 2016 to be this person who understands himself a little better. And then in 2017, I finally got a coach, uh, David Roach. Uh, so, you know, what he had done from 2017 on until now is, is I think because of going to therapy and because of understanding this stuff better, he came in and he's this very, very, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter or anywhere. Oh, stuff I'm a big, posts. big, big David Roche fan for sure. And he is just, he is so positive. And like, I remember our first uh, log entry, I did like an easy run of like seven miles and he writes on the log and he just writes, great job, Nick, you're doing amazing. And like all caps. And I'm like, it's just an easy run. Like why? Like, I don't need that. And then now 450 entries later of positive re- reinforcements and he's not, he's not sugarcoating if I, if something happened, he would be like, all right, Nick, let's try this. But just that positivity and belief in myself, like that, that I think I'm able, I was able to accept what he's, what he's selling. That's the wrong word, but what he's putting out there because of, I went to therapy and understood myself better. And I think, so I think it was like this two prong attack of like knowing myself better, understanding myself better, and then getting these, this David in my life and then rabbit elite and all these other supportive people. And now I'm hearing all these wonderful things people are saying, and it's, it's helping me better, you know, better take care of myself. So I've recently started going to therapy as well. So I can, I can relate to what you're saying and, and uh, you know, in my own, my own, you know, trials and tribulations. So for, for you, what aspects, or I guess what outcomes came from therapy when you look back and say, Hey, I used to do this or I used to be this way. And these are how I'm acting now, or these are some of the ways that I approach my life now where I, maybe I didn't handle it this way in the past. Yeah. So a lot of anxiety I, I have from, uh, I had over the years and, and like it, it full fledged came in all my running and um, you know, a lot of, of not, of putting this pressure on myself all the time and running and just in life. Like I, I, my worst, I was my own worst critic. I, every time something happened, I would put a lot of blame on myself. I would never forgive myself. Um, and, and that adds up over time. And, and, you know, as you keep going through life this way and, and you keep not forgiving yourself for things that are happening, eventually you come up with so much shame that you don't, you're not able to function and every, and then these things keep coming up and keep coming up. So, not only was that happening just in my real life, but it, it happens in running because a bad workout all of a sudden turns into, well, now I'm not in shape or, you know, a bad race turns into, well, now I'm not, I'm not an elite. Like I got to prove myself more. And then we do the thing we always do is we double down. Now I got to be even tougher. I got to run even faster. And like those things are always, the more we beat ourselves up and not just be more accepting and more mind- mindful the more we, we struggle to ever get out of that cycle. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And oftentimes what's coupled with that is not, you know, experiencing the positives that come from an accomplishment. 
were you able to do any of that or did you just chalk that up to be like, Oh, I should have done that. There's not really, that's not something we're celebrating. Yeah. A lot of that was me was um, just like, even if I ran a good PR, it would just knock it off. Like you try so hard and build up for a PR and then you get it and you're just like, what's next? Like you don't even take time to celebrate it or celebrate all of this, this stuff that comes with running. And I think, uh, one of the things David does and he talks about in his book and helped me is like, don't just focus on a finish line. Don't just focus on a number, like focus on enjoying every day, every, every run, every, every part of this process and, and take that to life too. enjoy your life every day. Don't just go for some, I have to, if I hit this goal, then I'll be happy. Like we'll always have more goals. Like we'll always have another finish line. We'll always have another number we want to hit. If you can't enjoy the day in and day out, like you're eventually going to burn out. You're eventually going to not get. So did you burn out post-college? I know you took an eight year hiatus after running at Monmouth. What was, what instigated that break from running? Yeah. So two things, one, I burned out and two, um, I took a major that had 10 kids in it uh, or 10 students with me. And my senior year, I did two big mistakes. I, I didn't follow my counselor's recommendations for courses because I didn't understand. And I was freshman year. They're like, here's an eight o'clock Friday class. I'm like, no, I'll just move these things around. I didn't understand when you're in a major with 10 kids and they set your core classes at an exact moment. Like they're going to set it up. So you follow the schedule, you graduate on time. And I was mixing it all up. So when I got to my senior year, two things happened. My one class was offered during practice every day of the week. I was going to be with two of my two core classes because no one else was an athlete in software engineering. So it was like, do I want to go every day and train by myself? Like, and you know, for me, running is always this, and get more into this, but this social, this community driven uh, love of hanging out with people. All my friends are runners. So to want to train every day by myself, you know, I wasn't excited about that. I, I also had been burning out from running a lot of, this pressure had just been building up and it just wasn't as much fun as I thought. So I think those two things coming together and just focusing on my studies and getting out of school, like that's kind of why I stopped. Burnout's probably the biggest part, but you know, it wasn't great that I was going to have to train by myself all the time. Yeah. I can see why that would be kind of a double whammy. That's for sure. So then during your eight year hiatus, were you athletic at all or did you just kind of like pack it in and just, you know, stick to other things? Oh man, I nerded out. I got into video games a lot. I, I gained about 45 pounds. All muscle? Um, you know, <laughs> all muscle, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I did very little athletic. I mean, we would play we, once, once a year. We probably played flag football on, on Thanksgiving Day with all my friends back in my hometown. But that was about it. Like, I didn't run anymore. And I thought I was done with it forever. And, you know, that, that was it. And, I moved on. My wife and me met in college on the, the track team and she stopped running at the college too. So like neither of us had that connection to it. And we were just living in Jersey and we were just do, living our lives and nothing about running was even in my life at that point. So what got you back into it? Yeah. So we moved to Maryland in 2010 and I was 195 pounds and I was like, you know what? I don't like this. And I started lifting and nothing was happening. I couldn't, I wasn't benching any more weight than I was trying and I wasn't losing weight. And I was just like, what am I doing? And I was like, you know, I know there's something that helped me lose weight. So I started running again just to kind of lose some weight. Um, and, you know, so I casually went out for a couple of runs every once in a while. I was in a new state. We didn't have a, we didn't have a lot of friends here because we didn't know anyone. I just, my, my base in, a, in New Jersey closed down and it was go to Maryland or get a new job. So went to Maryland 
And so I didn't know a lot of people down here and I just started running. And that was kind of what I did in my free time as we tried to figure out what we're going to do down here and run after run, knowing all I knew of my life of running was being competitive. So casual running eventually turned into, Hey, let me, let me pick a race. So in 2011, I, I started with a 10 miler and, you know, first time on my own training, I've had my coach my whole life. I didn't really know what I was doing. So it was just a couple miles here, random workout there. Um, you know, then pressures, then I started putting pressure on myself to, Hey, you know what, Nick, you were this fast back then. And I call this the comparison trap, but I started comparing myself most of my 2011 on till 2016 to my old self. So funny story in 2011, I signed up for my first race, a 10 miler. I'd probably trained for about five months, 20 miles a week, maybe, maybe one workout here or there. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to walk to the front of this starting line. I'm going to run 59 minutes. Cause that's what I used to be able to do. I think. So here I go, I take off and it's this hilly course in Baltimore and I run my first mile on 645 and I'm like, what am I doing? And I end up running like 72 minutes, like I crawl on the way back. Um, but like, here I am, like I'm comparing, I couldn't just be happy with my fitness where I was or just go run a race. I have to go try and stand in the front line and, and hammer out something that I'm not even ready for. And so, you know, so that that's how I kind of got back into it. But I, I kind of got back into it in a bad way of just thinking, comparing myself to my old So it self. sounds like the more you started running again, the more you started like kind of like reintroducing bad habits. Exactly. That's all I knew. So I was immediately just starting bad habits. And then I, I trained, I wanted to do a marathon by 30. It was always one of my goals growing up. And I was like, hey, I'm running again. I'm 29 and a half. I signed up for wine glass just to run a marathon. And that lasted for 10 minutes. And then I'm like, Hey, there's this thing called Boston. I always wanted to do. Why don't I just go run a BQ? Um, you know, and, and like, these are thoughts going through my mind. I'm not, like, like, not that like I could do it, but like in my mind, I'm just like, I used to be this division one athlete. Let's just, let's just say you can do it. So, you know, I, my long, my longest run for this marathon was 14 miles. I probably did 30 miles a week in the summer heat of Maryland, which it's hot down here sometimes. And, um, you know, I showed up and there, then that was the year they changed the marathon from 309 to 305 and I'm on the starting line and I, and I only, I knew it as 309. I was like, Oh, 305. I'll just run that. So I got with that pace group on the starting line. I was just like, I'll just run 305. And I made it 20 miles. And my last 10 K I think was like 53 minutes, um, walking and just the worst feeling ever. And, you know, I turned this fun, exciting accomplishment of just running a marathon into like me again, putting all this pressure on myself to do these things. So let me ask you a different question then, because you have this situation where my wife basically says that I do this, that I basically take something that's a positive and turn it into a negative by attaching like anxiety and goals to it. So basically like, Hey, it doesn't matter the activity. You're going to end up making yourself miserable by like attaching you know, all of these things to your running that you're going to end up presenting it. So you, you, you kind of have a similar history, maybe not exactly the same thing, but there's some, there's some similarities there. And then this year, as we're going to talk about maybe, maybe even a little later, maybe even now is you, you know, I've been very forthcoming with your goal post CIM of reaching that OTQ. So what about your old habit, of, you know, kind of like going out there and trying to do something that you, you know, might not necessarily be ready to do. How is that different than what you're doing now versus your approach and your mindset related to that goal? 
Yeah, so the the, pro- the biggest problem before I think was it was always it was always comparing to some old former version of myself, and um, you know I think that slowed me down for a long time because instead of accepting, hey, I'm a 19 minute five miler or I'm a you know three hour and 30 minute marathoner, it was I have to be this because that's what I was, and that's always the hardest way to slow yourself down is to is to focus on what you want to be instead of what you are. So, so focus on the present. So, you know, all those years, it, it slowed me down to get to where I want, as opposed to now where, you know, I had a really great last year. I really felt like I am in the fitness that I want to be. And I think the other part of this is I'm trying, as I tell this, this go after this OTQ goal of it's, you know, there's a big goal. Like here it is, this two nineteen, uh, two hours and 19 minutes for the marathon. But I want to focus on that number. Like that's that's the ultimate goal. My goal this year is to just do all the work. To I want to document document my journey. I want to have fun with my family along the way. I want to enjoy every workout and every run. I know we all say these things, but like my I am not focused on that number as much as I used to in the past. I used to set a goal and just live by it, write it everywhere. And I'm trying not to do that this time around. I'm trying to set a goal. And then focus on the actual process to get there. The what steps will I take? What am I going to do to get to that goal? As opposed to if you just look at that number all the time, it'll intimidate you and it will put pressure on every workout and every run. So it sounds like you almost want to have like goal amnesia. Like you tell your coach, this is the goal. And then like have the coach worry about the steps and like you forget about the goal, like almost as soon as you say it. Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly it. Like because I think when we focus on a number, like it, it, it makes it much harder to achieve it because that's always holding, it's always over your head. And that's just for me, maybe other people are different, but you know, I think I want to remove myself from that and enjoy that, you know, no, more, no matter where I end up when this is over, like I'm going to be ecstatic. Like if I ran two twenty eleven, like I ran two twenty eleven for a marathon, that would be the greatest thing in the world. Like there is no failing in this, but, I wanted to set a big goal and go for it. I'm 36 years old. I'll be 37 this year. You know, I have my second daughter was just born a month ago. So I have a lot of stuff that's going to build up over the years. An OTQ window, the next one, I'll be 40. So this was like, hey, I'm 36. I'm in the best shape of my life. Like, let's go back to this thing. But no matter where we get, like, I'm going to be so happy. And I'm going to love every part of this. So when you told David, your coach, that you were that this was going to be your big goal, and I know he's a big fan of setting that big, hairy, audacious goal and just kind of like putting it out there. He had mentioned to you, "That's great, you know, let's effing do it." And then he immediately follows it up with, "But you're going to need to trust the process and keep a good mindset throughout this whole this whole year." When he said that to you, what exactly does that mean for him, and what does that mean for you? Yeah, so it's great that he said that because one of the things he did a lot for me in 2018 was there were times when I got caught up in this. And, you know, I can tell the story of when I became a rabbit elite. In 20- as soon as I became it, the first thing that happened is I started doing this pressure in myself thing because I looked around at the people on the team and all the guys are like really fast, like 106, 107 half marathon or some of the women had run 113 and a half marathon. I was like, I don't really belong here. I was like, I was like, I don't know how I got on this. Like, that was my first thing, you know, and not being happy, like just being like, am I supposed to be here? And then all of a sudden, like I started telling myself, well, I need to be elite. 
like in my mind. I need to be elite. I need to prove to people. Prove. To, I don't know who I'm proving well, to. Your because shirt. No it's one on your said, shirt, man. It says rabbit elite right there. I know. I know. <laughs> but like, no one's telling me like you have to prove this. But I'm, I'm like, I got to prove all these people right. that I'm ready. And so all summer long, I, I, I had some really bad races, like like much slower races than I was running marathons or even half marathons out for 10ks and 5ks. And you know. David stopped me after I ran Boilermaker 15K, which was a week after the flu because I told him I really wanted to do it. And he just said, hey, Nick, let's let's chill for a little bit. And let's, you know, I see you doing this thing you do where you get caught up in all these numbers and get caught up in all this stuff. Let's take a step back and let's just start enjoying it. Let's start believing in ourselves, not getting caught up in this. He always says this line that I always repeat. He says, life is a comedy, not a drama. It's literally my favorite line. I tell everyone it all the time because it, it resonates so much with me that laugh off these things. Like you got the flu the week of your race. Okay, that's life. And so, you know, him by him saying that to me about, hey, let's focus on this process and wherever you end up is amazing. Like that's him telling me, hey, Nick, we got this goal. We did it. This is what we're going to go for. Now let's do everything possible and have so much fun the rest of the way there. And you're going to get there. Or, you know, wherever you get is going to be amazing, but let's, we're going to try our best. Now, you're a numbers guy. I mean, literally, your entire work life is revolved around numbers on some level. And David is, if you've read his, if you haven't read his book, Happy Runner, that he does with his wife, Megan, you should, because it's excellent. And in it and in the various, various writings and podcasts, he makes it evident that he is very much not a numbers focused coach. And he doesn't want his runners to be either, you know, he's aware of them and he's very, you know, he's very much in it when he's writing articles and when he's diving in, he's very numbers conscious, but he doesn't try to express that in his communications to his runners. So how were you able to navigate that fine line between your natural inclination to be numbers focused because you just enjoy them and you've always worked with them versus working with a coach that would prefer you not to be that way? Like, how does that interplay work? Yeah, it's very funny. So I remember we, I emailed him uh, to talk about coaching, but also really just to say, like, I thought he was an amazing positive influence on the internet. We just had a conversation about that. And then we talked about coaching and we went through about 36 emails to make sure we were the right fit. He had a lot of questions for me. I had a lot of back and forth. And then there came up one about like a deal breaker to him. Like, here's how we do training. We do time-based effort-based workouts. Um, you're not going to get 400 meter intervals on a track. You're not going to get 1200 meter inter- intervals on a track. You're not going to get m- meters. You're going to get time-based workouts. And I don't even want you on a track period. And, and that's, you know, to me as a track runner at college, like I live 400 meters at a time. Like I know every split on a track and, you know, I, I, like that's how I live. So when he said that, like, he's like, Nick, this is a deal breaker, like not deal breaker, but he's like, this is how we train. Like, can you accept that? And he's like, I'm going to hold it to you later when you come, if you get upset about it, like six months from now. But like, it was just more of saying like, hey, Nick, this is the way we do things. I want I want you to accept this and really get behind it. And so for me, I was like, like, I want to try something new. Like, I, I think you'd be a great influence in my life. So I'm going to try it. And it was hard in the beginning, like, because we would just we would go out and I'd get like, let's say eight by two minutes on two minutes off. And it would be at, let's say, 10K effort pace. And the first thing I would want to write in my log, would be like, so what pace do you want right, that like at? what does that mean right yeah exactly <laughs> and he'd be i didn't write it because i knew we already had talked about it but like that's all i always wanted and i was like what do i do and so in the beginning i would just run workouts and like i'd sort of get caught up in numbers but 
like, and then I wasn't. And then, you know, sometime in 2018, I bought into that effort word to mean whatever, to mean what it is, right? So effort is whatever it is that day, right? So when someone tells me run 10K effort, well, this week it might be this pace and this next week it might be the other pace. Well, so let's, let's, let's what dig really into that sure. because that, that's a, sure. I think that's an important thing is that, you know, you have certain biological factors or physical factors that will then you will use as like the metrics for how something feels, right? So like threshold pace is kind of similar for everybody where it's like, all right, it's kind of like when you start breathing hard, but you can kind of maintain it, so on and so forth. So when you think about what 10K effort means, what exactly are you feeling in your body that would dif- differentiate it between threshold pace or say like 5K pace? Yeah, so what I, in my mind when I'm doing it, I remember how I feel during a 10K and that's the best way I can put it. So I remember I'm breathing very heavy. There is really no conversations. It is, uh, you know, I'm moving my legs at a speed. It's, it's a, since it's effort, like I'm, I don't get caught up in that super much. I just know based on my breathing, how fast I should be moving. And I tell people this sometimes I don't even sometimes split my workouts. Sometimes I just let my two minutes run on and off the whole time. I don't know what I'm running for the two minute interval because truthfully I've bought into effort so much that I know I'm putting out the effort I should. And I believe in that. And if maybe that day it was closer to 5k or closer to half, like, but that day I tried my best to run that effort, which means it's successful. And that in the end, all I'm trying to do at this workout is to gain fitness, not prove it. And I think when you, when you don't look at the numbers or get caught up in splits, you don't have the tendency to look at your workout and go, oh, well, I'm not in the shape I want to be. I can't race at that. Or I'm not ready to race yet. Or oh, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm ready to crush. Like, I, I think if you think of workouts that way to prove that you're ready for things, you're doing them wrong. Like if, and you put pressure on the workout. If you look at it just to gain fitness, when you go into the workout, you're excited about it. Cause you know, when you're done, you've gotten faster. Yeah. I think that's a great mindset to have. And I can see it being very freeing for type a people or very numbers focused individuals. That's for sure. But since you brought up racing, I think that's the obvious next question of not necessarily like, as you, you just kind of put to bed the whole idea of like, if you're just work, doing workouts to prepare for races, you're doing it wrong, you know, just in terms of a holistic perspective. But when there is a race on the calendar, right, let's think about your, the Richmond half marathon, right? You went out, you run a 111, which was an eye-opening experience for you. Because you're doing these sorts of workouts, ours, is there any alteration in preparation for a race like that, just so that, you and or David are aware of the kind of race plan you should have going into the race? Like, how do you calibrate a race plan if you're not being super cognizant of the numbers in workouts? Yeah, so this is the funny part about Richmond. So, um, you know, I I did split some splits. And when I looked back uh, post-Richmond, here's a a variety of workouts I did. I did a 20-minute, 20-minutes on at, at... 10 mile pace and then like some 30 seconds on and off or I do like some six or eight by one minute and like maybe four by two minutes, like that kind of stuff. And whenever I looked at it, all these two minute, three minute, 20 minute splits, they all ended up being around 520, 520 to 525 pace. When I looked back at my log later and, you know, 
this is two minute and three minute on intervals. So in the moment, if I would have really looked, deciphered, looked at that, I would have said, wow, you, I, I am struggling. I'm not struggling, but this is what the effort I'm putting out in a workout for eight by two minutes. How could I possibly run an hour and 11 minutes? Yeah. You, 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 you'd be thinking about that more as like 800 meter repeat speed, not like something fast. Yeah. And so I didn't get caught up in that. And even though, since Richmond wasn't our goal race, we didn't really have a race plan. It was a little bit of taper. Um, you know, David does, David sends me a nice email and all of us in, in his, in his swap program, some work, I'll play a nice email that goes to all of us that really doesn't talk about your race plan. It talks about, you know, racing is the celebration. You've done all the hard work, like smile, like a puppy unicorn, um, like all these positive reinforcement mind things. Like there's some little hints, like if you're doing an ultra, he does trains a lot of ultra runners. So if you're doing an ultra runner, make sure you put in the right amount of fuel early on and eat this many times. But like, for the most part, there's no splits. There's no nothing like that. So as I rolled into Richmond, I had no clue what I was going to run. Um, now, how did that you know, feel? Funny story. How did, nope. how did that feel going into a race and not really having a clue how you were going to run? It was interesting. Like I didn't, I didn't expect one thing or another. Like I thought maybe I could PR. I knew it was a fast course. I think what helped me that week is I had one of the worst taper weeks of my life i got pink eye on a monday i um fell down my stairs four flights on the holy Wednesday crap and landed on my landed on my back like it really hurt um like it's it's stiffed up a lot and I, I did the runner thing i did where i was like walking around all day um at home and i was like oh man this really hurts what am i gonna do and then i was like let me try and run and i went out for a run of course it didn't hurt and i'm like well i'm, I'm fine so, so so i ended up um you know, taking a lot of leave that week, getting a, a massage, you know, getting some thoughts from my physical therapist on how to help this. And then I got to the race and the morning of like, it didn't feel great, but I put on my vapor flies. And then all of a sudden, like, I forgot all about the pain. But so outside of that crazy taper, I think it took some pressure off of my mind as I just showed up to this race. And now I'm on the line. I know I'm running and I'm like, I have no clue what I'm going to run. Like my taper week was terrible. Like I know I did some good workouts. And then I just went off and I just started splitting and like not even getting caught in the numbers, another mile down, another mile down. I'm looking through and I'm like, I get through 10 K and I'm like, Oh, I've never been here in a half. And then I'm feeling great. And I'm moving further and further along. And, you know, and then I end up running. Interestingly enough, my pace for the whole entire half was 525 pace, the same pace I was maintaining for these shorter intervals. But, you know, I would guess that a lot of it has to do with my body got attuned to that pace that, I was fit enough to maintain it a long time, but my body just knew 525, 520 pace. Yeah, I love that. And I've listened to a lot of David's podcast appearances, and he talks a lot about those short interval, you know, almost basically fartlek workouts where it's a lot of like reteaching your body how to run fast. And he kind of like, it seems like he works a lot, and maybe it's a little different for you because I know he does train a lot of ultra marathoners. Um, but, you know, working at, at the fringes, like working on the aerobic base and then working on top end speed. Um, is that how your training has gone? Because it seems like it's a little different than you'd see for a lot of people who are running. Yeah, um, I, I would. One of the things I said and I talked to my friends at, at um, Sim is that I, I feel like I'm probably I want to say this in the best way possible, a little under trained, like because I'm ready for whatever race. Like, I don't think I'm ever on that threshold of like teetering burnout versus perfect fitness. 
And I think David keeps us with this effort-based stuff since the effort is driven by me. We have a tendency to probably stay a little low. I at least have a tendency to stay on that lower side of pushing the envelope because in 2016, I burned out by pushing, pushing it way too far. I did way too much. I ran like 40 races that year. Um, so I think it, this, this mindset and the way he trains me, I think helps me to keep it that way. So I don't hit these points. And I think that's why a lot of this, this kind of time-based stuff works. I don't know if I answered your question. Properly yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I have a lot of, I'm, I'm just so intrigued by it because like you, it's not something I think would come naturally to me, but just through osmosis, I'm trying to pick up some of this. Um, and incorporating in some of my own training, you know, David is not my coach and I'm not altering my coach's, you know, workout plans or anything like that. But just in my own experiences, you can do both, right? I mean, you can get a workout and be like, Hey, I know this is supposed to be threshold pace. I know what threshold pace is supposed to feel like. I'm just going to run threshold pace. and I'm not going to really, you know, care what the numbers mean in the moment because I know the, the intent of the workout. And I've done this long enough to know that if I stick to the intent of the workout, the numbers, you know, can kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah. And I think one of the things I always like to remember is we're a sum of all our training, right? So I think people get caught up in, Hey, I ran this race and then I took some time off and now I'm not fit anymore. I got sick for a week or I had a bad workout. I think when you think about it, that really it probably takes about 120 to 200 days really for fitness to fully take hold. You know, that's why there's 16 week, 12 week marathon programs. Like when you think about it, it's a sum of all these workouts making you that fit like i think that mindset kind of helps you too and i think one of the things i like to push on people my friends or other runners or just myself is then take that and then start believing in yourself and i like to positively push out as much as i can to tell to show people the positive in, in their workouts like they may get caught up and say yeah, i was four seconds slow for this whole entire workout well like four seconds what does it really mean like that's great you were that close like, and like having this positive reinforcement that David gave to me. And now I try and push on everyone, all my friends and all my runners to believe in themselves. It's, it's surprising once they start believing in themselves, how much faster they start running. Yeah. And for some people that can be a chicken and egg thing, you know what I mean? If they're, if they're yes. really anxious about it, they're like, how can I have confidence if I'm not running well? And it's just, and they're not necessarily wrong. But it's almost like they're just they're like looking at this question in just a very different through very different different lenses than you would be. So it's not that one person's right or wrong. It's just choosing how you to look, choosing how you look at the problem holistically. Yes. All right. So I'm so what's the what does the race calendar look like for 2019? Sure. So we our plan is sort of. Uh, we're going to attack a 10k so next race i'm doing shamrock uh half marathon in virginia beach uh so that's in three weeks and that was kind of just i always wanted to do this race like i knew i was having my daughter was going to be born at the end of january so who knows what kind of training i was going to get with a newborn but it was just on saint patrick's day i knew a lot of friends doing it It was going to be fun so i'm going to that i'm going to race it i'm going to have a good time um but then this this spring we're doing a 10k locally here it's called pike's peak 10k um it's down in rockville so I'm hoping to get a good 10K. Then I'm going to Grandma's Half in June. It seems like a lot of people are running either Grandma's Half or Grandma's Full. So that should be almost like a sim-like event. Um, and then in the fall, I want to go back to sim you know, in December and run my only marathon this year and see what I got. Got it. All right, man. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for My having pleasure. me. My pleasure. All right, let's dive into the, the quick questions I like to do with everybody. When you're running, are you wearing headphones or no headphones? Oh, I'm always wearing headphones. If I'm by myself, so I, I tend to always socialize when I run. It's like my time to get out and meet friends and catch up. But when the times I don't have someone to run with, I'll put headphones on and I'll probably listen to podcasts or anything I can just to just to help All me right, go. So what's the best stuff that you listen to? Um, so I listen to a lot of, it's probably weird, but I listen to a lot of EDM music. So like Avicii's like always on my playlist or weird, interesting stuff like Kesha pops up all the time. I probably have like 12 of her songs in my um, playlist at the moment. Um, so I'm all over the place with my music. Okay. So what, if you could run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? So I think I'm going to say the Berlin marathon only because it's, probably three times I, I signed up for it twice and i didn't run it so my first year i signed up in 2016 and then we we i signed up before my wife got pregnant we didn't think we could get pregnant or she could get pregnant and then all of a sudden she did and then we thought about it and we're like let's not go to you know Oktoberfest in berlin and if you're six months pregnant so then i signed up again solid solid choice there 20... solid choice yep <laughs> but then i was like oh next year we should go because you won't be pregnant anymore and we'll have a seven month old so someone can easily watch her and so I signed up again, and then, you know, four months in, we're like, this makes no sense. Like, no one's watching our seven-year-old, and we don't even want to leave. Um, so, you know, then, again, I didn't do it. So now I haven't signed up since then. So now I, it's just, like, this race that I, I have to go do because I've signed up twice for it and paid for it and haven't run it. Oh, man. I wish you could just, like, move the, move the <laughs> payment to, like, the next one you do. <laughs> I know. I should have. I should have deferred, but I don't think I could have. All actually. right. So what's your favorite workout? Uh, so free David, it'd probably been 400 on a track. Uh, nowadays with David, I really like, um, when we do long runs with like, I actually did it this weekend. I, I think one of my favorite workouts is like a 16, 18 mile long run with like three times three mile in, in it. Um, you know, it's just a great test of like that mental capacity in the middle of your long run to handle this half marathon pace or marathon pace for longer intervals with short break and then keep getting back into your into your long run and then do it again. So I like those longer ones because those are the ones I always struggle with the most. Like get me for short intervals and I can always get the mental capacity to keep up, but longer, longer stuff in the middle of a long run always gets me. Right. No, I hear you. All right. So what moment in your running career are you most proud of? So interestingly enough, it's probably the race that was the hardest and still makes me cringe when I think about it. I ran JFK 50 miler in 2016 because I felt like I wanted to do a 50 miler. And um, it went about as bad as it probably could. I, I it, If you're not familiar with it, you run like 14 miles through the Appalachian, a lot of elevation gain, very technical trails. Then you run 26 miles on the CNO trail, which is super flat. And then you run 10 miles on the roads. And I knew I was a bad trail runner. So I went out super, I thought slow in the trail, but I was catching all these really technical trail runners. And I was like, hey, why am I with you guys? And then I got out and I started hammering on the CNO and I got to mile 28 where I'd never been before because I've only run marathons and I broke down really bad. Like I went from running 6:30 pace to nine minute pace in one mile. I got to my crew and I was like, I'm done. And they looked at me and they're like, Nick, we drove three hours here. 
Like, you're going to finish. And I was like, well, like, I don't really want to. And I was being, like, whiny. And they pushed me out. And the next 22 miles, like, it just sounds crazy to say, were so terrible. It was walking. It was, like, feeling sorry for myself. I stopped at every aid station, ate cookies. And then I got to the last aid station at 40. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to finish this. And got on my horse and got to the finish line. And I think what I always look back to that race is there were so many dark moments like, I'm not going to finish this. I got 20 miles left. I got 19 miles left. What am I doing? But every time I get in this bad race or something going on, like, I think back to that and I'm like, you know, I did that. Like, and I finished. Like, it wasn't a great time, but I finished. Like, you know, I can do anything. I love it. I love that. I love how you finished that story for sure. All right. Last one, Nick. Who is your dream running partner? Well, so I sort of already talked about it, but, you know, I got to – you know, we only shared a mile, but Steph Bruce would probably be the one person I'd love to like share a really long run with. Cause like, I think her story is so great. Like, and it's, it's this parent who does with, with her husband, Ben, and they do everything together with their kids. And like when they went to New York marathon this year, they all dressed up as the Avengers and justice league. And she's got this passion and fire in her late third, in her mid thirties. Like it just, everything about her story, I think is so awesome. So it's always resonated with me of like this person who I'd, sharing a run with or just talking with, I think it would be awesome. For sure. Nick, thanks again. This was great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, Nick, for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Big shout out to Mercury Mile, Megaton Coffee and Lowell Running Company. I love them all. And thank you so much for sponsoring the show. So again, code RamblingRunner10 at both Megaton Coffee and Mercury Mile to save on both of those sites and lolrunning.com if you're interested in getting a coach. So thank you so much for listening. I love episodes like this where the guest really opens up about all things running related, which oftentimes is not necessarily physical but usually mentally and emotionally. And that's oftentimes what's going to help you unlock your own potential, whether it's in running or any other endeavor. So again, Nick, thank you for coming on. This was a blast and happy running.